0: 27 through 29, I'm going to look at Matthew's call a little bit with you, Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 29. Uh, Back when uh, I was praying, asking the Lord that Katie and I could get married a year before finishing school, we'd been dating for a a good amount of time, I was going to be starting um, my master's work, and uh, and Katie was going to uh, be a, a senior at when I hoped we could get married. I started praying about that. Um, I was also praying about a ring. I thought I'd I'd need that to ask her to marry me. As I was praying about that, uh, I discovered the five C's of a diamond. And those of you guys that have uh, hit that point of asking that special somebody to marry you, uh, you probably know the five C's, the the five things that um, make a diamond valuable. What affects the diamond's value. They all begin with the letter C, therefore the five C's of diamonds. Uh, When I was... My story, uh, as I was praying about it, uh, the youth pastor at the church that I was at, as was doing my internship out in Tucson, Arizona, uh, his wife had gotten a, a beautiful diamond. And as he told me the story, uh, he had found that diamond in the paper. So I thought, well, you know, maybe that, that could work for me too. So praying about it. Didn't have any money as a student. Uh, but lo and behold, coming up to the last week of my internship there, there's this diamond in the paper. I thought, well, I'll go see it. So I took the youth pastor, went to see it. Uh, and it was the most beautiful diamond I'd ever seen and I said to the guy I said I don't have any money and kind of disappointed by that uh, and I said but I said they're taking a love offering for me and I had to explain what that was uh, to him and I said I'll call you on Monday and let you know what I could do so I called him on Monday and said I know you're offering that ring at a great price I really like that ring uh, but I can only do $200 less than that I said promise the Lord so much money for books and that and uh, and that's what I could do if you, if you're interested, call me back. I'll meet you at Hellsberg's and and I'll purchase the ring, ha, have it appraised and purchase the ring. So sure enough, calls me back, have it have it appraised. appraised for three times what I paid for it. Purchased it and gave it to my wife. When I gave that ring to my wife, I'm thankful that I had something of value. Uh, I could have given her, I guess, but I probably would have been slapped. Uh, but I probably could have given her a cracker jack ring, uh, maybe. Uh, But, you know, she knew knew I could afford more than that. And I was able to give her something that showed that I put value uh, upon our relationship. It showed that as a husband, I desired to uh, provide for her and meet her needs. I was was thankful that I had uh, that nice uh, diamond ring to give to her. Tonight, obviously, we're not going to look at the five C's of diamonds. uh, But I would like to look with you at the five C's of discipleship. What makes us valuable as we take our disciple, which is us, and we lift that disciple up to the Lord Jesus Christ? What tonight are, are you as an individual holding up to Christ saying, this is the value that I place upon my relationship with you. This, this shows my seriousness. This shows the, uh, the reality of uh, our relationship. What kind of a disciple tonight are you lifting up? And we're going to look at Matthew's call. Matthew's call uh, is two words that Christ says to, uh, to Matthew. He just says, follow me. And Matthew's response uh, is where we're going to get our five C's from. Matthew's response shows his value as a disciple. Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 27, says, And after these things he went forth and saw a publican named mm-hmm. Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. He left all, rose up, and followed him. Then he made him a great feast, and there were many publicans and sinners uh, that were there with them. The first C tonight, if you're taking notes, the first C is the cost, the cost of discipleship. Says of Matthew that he left all. It's a striking statement because it's found in Scripture. God said that there wasn't anything uh, that Matthew, as he received that call to be a disciple, there wasn't anything uh, that he held back as he stepped into that position of following Christ. The Bible has strong statements to say about discipleship, and they're found in Luke. And you could turn to uh, Luke chapter 14 if you'd like to see. Uh, these verses, but Luke chapter 14, verse 26 says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciples. Hate not his father and mother. Well, the Bible says to honor your father and mother. What about your spouse? Well, I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church. What about our uh our, our children? And the responsibility that God's entrusted to us, certainly we know that God desires for us to love our kids. But when you sing the song of how great thou art, and you get to the verse, and when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That's the idea of this kind of hatred. You could say about God the Father as he uh, put Jesus Christ on Calvary, and it says in Isaiah That it pleased the Father to bruise Him. I saw recently on the History Channel that they're doing a special about who really killed Christ. Well, who really killed Christ is God the Father. It pleased the Father to bruise Him. And you could say, as you look at that, God despised His Son. Why? Because He didn't let His love for His Son come in between He and His love for us. You know, as we look at discipleship, neither should I as a husband let love for my wife come in between me and my love for God and my obedience to his will and my desire as a leader in our home to to lead according to his will. I can't let love, though I love my parents, I can't let love for my parents keep me from serving God. And just a personal story about that. I got to sing this last Sunday in my home church. And I saw, I've sung a song on deputation. I don't know if I sang it here or not, but uh, here I am, Lord. Sorry, that's what I was going to share. I got choked up because I saw my mom sitting there. And it's one thing for us to say, we'll go. It's another thing to realize that's a sacrifice for my parents. You know, but that's, and it too is a sacrifice they willingly make. But that's the reality. And that's that's what this verse is talking about, not us, but sacrifice there on the part of my folks. Uh, Ann Judson's dad was asked the question, um, <clears throat> are you willing to part with your daughter to send her to a heathen land and possibly uh, she'll die there, possibly uh, uh, never see her again? And he had to say to Adoniram Judson, yes, I will. And that, there again, is the same idea. But the Bible says, <clears throat> without that idea of putting God first in that way, in a familial sense, God says, you cannot be my disciple. That's disqualification from discipleship. <clears throat> then Luke 14:27 says, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The idea of a cross. Where was Jesus going as he took up his cross? Well, he's going to Calvary. I heard a message preached by uh, a part of it was preached by a man by the name of Leonard Ravenhill, who knew uh, Tozer, and he, he said, as dear old Dr. Tozer used to say to me, "Lem, one thing you know, or, or one thing you know about a man carrying a cross, that man's not coming back. That man's dead to self. He's dead to his ambitions. He's dead uh, to his goals. He's dead to his desires." It's not it's not his life anymore. Why? Because he took up his cross and followed Christ. Luke 14:33 says, "So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple." Think again, and, and with regard to the qualifications of discipleship, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, does it mean that uh, we have to, as individuals, take everything that we possess and go to? To goodwill, or go somewhere and say, I'm, I'm just going to give it all away. No. But you know, we have to live like we gave it all away to the Lord. That there can't be anything in our life that we say, God, God, you can have everything but that. God desires everything. The rich young ruler, as he uh, came to the Lord and said, all those things have I kept for my youth, I kept the law. I've, I've loved God, and I've, I've loved others. As he... Um, made that statement, Jesus could have said, wait a second. That's not true. You're not the first perfect man. I'm a perfect man, but you're not. And he could have gone uh, through the law and said, look, this this is where you failed. But what did he say? Yet one thing thou lackest. There was one primary thing that was in this man's life that was keeping him from following Christ. And what was it? It was his riches. He said, go and sell all that you have and then come and follow me. One thing keeping him from Fallen Christ. Pastor Cooper, a pastor uh, down in central Georgia, uh, shared a story with me about a young man that called uh, him and, and said, Pastor Cooper, I believe I'm demon possessed. Can you help me? He said, All right. He said, We'll set up a, uh, a time, a counseling time. And he called a pastor friend and said, Can you come? You've had some experience with these sort of things. So he came and, and they, they questioned the young man about his salvation. He gave a salvation testimony, and and, um, the pastor that was counseling him said, well, Satan cannot possess a believer, or demons cannot possess a believer, but Satan can get strongholds in a believer's life. Satan is the father of lies. For you to gain victory, you must tell the truth. Are you willing to do that? And he said he was. He said, well, are you into pornography? And the young man said, yes. He said, are you willing to confess it and forsake it? He said yes, and he prayed and asked the Lord's for forgiveness and asked for help and victory. He said, Are you into drugs? He said, Yes. He said, Will you confess and forsake it? He said, Again, yes. He, he, he prayed again. He said, Are you into alcohol? Again, yes. And again, the same thing. But he got to tobacco. He said, Are you using tobacco? And he said, Yes. He said, Will you give it up? And he said, No. He said, In this way, he said, The voices in my head are saying not to. He said, The pastor said, Son, don't you understand that if you don't deal with this, you cannot have victory? He said he did. You know what they said? He walked away unrepentant. Yes, there was a lot he had to deal with in his life. But within a year, that young man was dead. And they believed that he had sinned a sin unto death. And yes, you could look at his life and say there was a lot of things that he was dealing with. Yes, but it came down to one thing that finally he said, God, no, you can't have that. As I was witnessing to a man that had visited our church for uh, probably a couple of years, his, his wife was saved. And as we went through the gospel, I came to the point of conviction personally that he fully understood the gospel and asked him, would you like to be saved? He said this. He said, no. He said, I like, uh, uh, he he, he liked to have a little drink every now and then. And he liked to dance. And by dancing, uh, he meant going waltzing. And he said this. He said, I don't want to be a hypocrite. That's not honorable to reject the gospel. But he said, these things are what is keeping me from Christ. You think about that, those temporal things, keeping him from eternal life. You know, praise the Lord, uh, about seven months later, he got saved during evangelistic meetings. But, you know, you could be here tonight, and there could be one thing in your life that Satan says uh, not to give up. The voice, You could say, the voices in my head are saying not to. But without dealing with that sin, it could keep you from the gospel, and it could certainly keep you from being a disciple. Because to be a disciple, you, there has to be... Uh, in obedience to leaving all, Matthew left all. It cost him greatly. We find also the commitment, Matthew's commitment uh, in our story here. It's a, the story of um, a great crowd of people being around Jesus, the, and the the four friends of the paralyzed man. They couldn't get him into the room because of the crowd was so great, and so they cut the hole in the roof and they lowered him through. And it says in our text, uh, and after these things, he went forth. Well, as he went forth, there were people that had come from cities all around that were leaders. And as he went forth, no doubt, uh, this crowd was following him. And he was walking by Matthew, and he says to Matthew, follow me. Everybody looks over at Matthew. What's, what's Matthew going to do? And it says, Matthew rose up. He committed. You know, our, I guess our... Public, uh, public time is the invitation time. The pastor talked about that uh, this morning, how our pride keeps us from rising up. But, you know, really in in, Amer- in American churches right now, uh, there's very little true commitment to the cause of Christ. There's very few that will say, Pastor, I'll be there every opportunity I get to to go out with you and do soul winning. Pastor, I'll be there faithfully and take the responsibility of Sunday school class. Pastor, I'll put church as my primary. Priority. I am committed to uh, serving the Lord. Very few that will rise up. If you look at Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 62. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I'll follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He says, basically, you're going to follow me. Okay, you're going to be homeless. So if you're really attached to home and things and and having things in your comfort zone and, and, and being in that uh, that location, uh, it's not gonna it's not gonna be possible. Verse 59. He said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Another also said, Lord, I'll follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home in my house. One says, I'll follow thee, and, and, and Christ knows there's something in his life that would keep him from following. Christ he says, there's, there's no place he'll call home. He says to another, Follow me, and he says, I've got to go bury the dead. And the next one says, He says, Follow me, and he says, I've got to go um, say goodbye to my family. You know, what Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't take time to say, well, those are all good excuses. Those are all valid uh, uh, arguments against this idea of commitment. Rather questions their worthiness of the kingdom of God. As, as Jesus says in verse 62, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Christ doesn't say, well, you know, those are good excuses. He says, no, it's uh, the cause of Christ in discipleship is one of commitment. It's one of choosing a path of following and never never stopping. Why is it so critical to have commit, commitment? Well, verse 10, after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great. But the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord, the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. What does a lack of commitment hinder? It hinders the harvest. There's people that have not heard the gospel in Sheridan because somebody's not committed fully to the cause of Christ. That's a fact. There's people that have not heard the gospel from Benjamin Shore because I'm not as committed to the cause of Christ as I need to be. The the lack of commitment has a direct impact on the harvest. The disciple is one who is committed. Have you committed to following Jesus? Commitment. We find also the consecration. It says about Matthew that he followed him. From that point on, Matthew was walking away from his, his job. He, was, he had been a publican. Now he's consecrated his life to Christ. He could have looked at what we saw this morning, the publicans and sinners. It's, it's interesting how often you see publicans and sinners in the same text. Publicans and sinners, like they're, uh, it's like an equal type thing. That being a publican was a, the same as saying this guy's a, a thief. And Matthew could have looked at his life, Christ said, to follow him. And he could have thought, well, doesn't he know my history? Doesn't he know that I, like Zacchaeus, have taken things that were not mine to take, that I've been stealing and these things. And, boy, everybody knows I'm a publican. That's going to be really hard to follow Christ. They're going to, they're going to say, you hypocrite, don't you realize what you were? He could have used that as an excuse, but he consecrated his life to following Christ. The Apostle Paul, uh, as he... As he followed Christ, he had things that he he wanted to leave behind. He had, the Bible says in Acts, uh, when he's preaching on the steps uh, to the crowd that has risen up against him in Jerusalem, he said that he went everywhere, healing men and women and committing them to prison. And also in the same verse, some to death. Apostle Paul likely met believers that as he talked with them, he realized, I was the one that committed your father to prison. I was the one that committed your mother to prison. I was the one that stood there while that person was killed. Did he have things uh, in his life that could have kept him from being consecrated? Yes. But he said, Philippians three thirteen, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said, all for Jesus, all for Jesus. Let my feet run in his ways. He was, he was consecrated to Christ. Despite his past, said, forgetting those things which are behind. Is sin a reproach? Yes, the Bible says sin is a reproach to any people. It, does it stain? Yes, it does. But the Bible says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. There's no way there there's no right we have to look at our life though, though to except to believe the devil's lie, that we can't serve God because of who we have been. That's a lie. Because why? Christ in us, the hope of glory, Jesus Christ cleansing us. Don't let your Don't let your sin be an excuse for lack of consecration. I saw this past um, fall, I think it was, as we were down in uh, Georgia. I came up around a turn, and I saw a guy in the highway in front of me. And as I looked at the man, I was trying to figure out what it was exactly. He was bobbing up and down, up and down, up and down. And as I got close to the man, I realized he had on an army biking shirt. And as I passed him, I realized he didn't have any legs. He was biking with his hands. You know, the guy could have looked at his life and said, you know what? When he lost his legs, he could have thought, I can never live life uh, uh, to the fullest again. I can never bike again. But you know what? He was, he was living as if, in a sense, he had never lost his legs. You know, in, in reality, we have something better than that because God has replaced our legs. He's taken the, uh, the sin-cursed members that were uh, grotesque, and he has given us uh, uh, new flesh, In Him, Don't let your past be an excuse for not living life to its fullest for Christ. Then we find also the communion. It says, and Levi made him a great feast in his own house. Matthew gave Jesus complete access to his home. Jesus was the special guest there as uh, he was invited there. The Bible says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he with me. My pastor in New York City, uh, he was an uh, Irish Catholic New Yorker from the Bronx. He went out to the end of Long Island, to Montauk, and there in a Bible study, he heard that verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and will open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he with me. And his response was Salvation. And yes, there, I believe there's a salvation truth there. But have you ever thought of it with regard to the idea of communion with Christ? No. To think that today, sometime today, there was a knock at your door. And the person on the other side of the door was deity. It was a king of kings and lord of lords desiring to have fellowship with you. You look at the Old Testament and you see God coming down to Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden and walking with them. You see Moses walking with God and other men that the Bible says walk with God. Was it because God wanted just to be a blessing to them? I don't believe so. I believe God's a relational God. I believe that he desires our fellowship, that he wants that communion, that he as our father or God as our father, that he as the son of God desires that relationship with us. There's a story about uh, a true story about a dog in the city of Edinburgh, little Scottish terrier. His name was uh, Bobby, and he's called Grey Friar's Bobby. And and Friar Grey, there's not much that's known about him, uh, except for the fact that this was his dog. And the story really takes place at the point of this man's uh, death. Uh, Friar Grey died. It says on the day following the funeral, the curator of the burial place found Bobby lying on his master's grave. And as the presence of dogs in the cemetery was against the rules, he was harshly driven forth. But the next morning, the faithful animal was again there and once more was ejected. The third day was a very raw and wet one. And when the curator on making his rounds discovered Bobby shivering with cold upon the grave, he was so struck with the sight of such devotion that he chastised the dumb mourner no more and let him henceforth have his way in peace. For over 12 years, this faithful animal spent every night upon the grave, Let the weather be ever so severe or storm and tempest rage. Nothing availed to induce induce him to forego his vigil of love. No stone ever marked the grave of gray and in time the mound became level with the surrounding earth and the weeds and the grass covered it. But the spot unrecognizable to others was well known to the faithful sentinel who never failed in his duty until he too closed his eyes in death. It's a touching story. I mean, a little dog that so uh, loved his master that... I mean, let the storms come. This guy was going to be there. didn't matter that there were nicer places that he could have been. He wanted to be right there by his master. You know, folks, tonight we don't lay, thank God, on the grave of a dead God. We live our life with the living God. We've got the privilege of going to our secret place, maybe unrecognizable to others, maybe where others are unaware that's our private place where we get along with God. But how's your communion? Former generations have been praying. Generations. I remember my grandparents, weeping in prayer at family altar for their grandkids. But do we have a generation like that that so knows God is, is broken in this area of prayer, that has daily time with the Lord not because they have to, but because they too desire to answer the door as the Master stands there and knocks. The communion, certainly part of discipleship. Matthew opened up his house, and made him a great feast. He wanted that fellowship. We find, lastly, the communication. It says, and there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. Significant that it is publicans and sinners. Who are these people? These are Matthew's friends. Why did we see this morning in Luke chapter 15 and all the publicans and sinners were there? Well, I believe you get to Matthew 15. As I thought about this morning, as I sit in there, who are these the friends of Matthew? When did they initially meet Christ? Back here as Matthew invited them to his house. We heard a good message this morning about reaching out uh, to the lost. The communication of the gospel being so vital. Why? The whole point of Christ's life was to be in obedience to the will of the Father. What was the will of the Father? That people would be saved by faith in Christ. How is that promoted? Through the gospel. How is the gospel promoted? Through telling. If I, as a disciple, never tell anybody about Christ, how valuable of a disciple am I? Really, what is my what is my impact? What am I going to say someday as I stand before God? and He said, I entrusted the gospel to you. What did you do? It's our responsibility as disciples to take the precious gospel that is there for everybody. There's enough uh, There's enough in the gospel for the whole world to be saved. But how shall they hear without a preacher? It, pre- it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Yes, it may be a fearful thing and it may take us getting out of our comfort zone, trusting in the enablement of the Holy Spirit to do it. But it is our responsibility as disciples to communicate the gospel. It's not a it doesn't have to be a plan, it doesn't have to be something that's pre thought out. First John one three says John said this, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. Basically he's saying, Hey, we want fellowship with you, but truly our fellowships with God and and for you to know about that we're going to share with you that which we have seen and heard. That's it. I mean, all it is is you saying to your neighbor, hey, listen to what God's done in my life. He can change your life, too. This is what how I've seen God work in my life. This is my experience of the grace of God and the goodness of God and the power of the gospel and just communicating the reality of Christ, the communication. Now, I was thankful as I finally got to give Katie the ring. It took Uh, A few months between getting the ring to the point of giving to her, I was excited to give it to her. I knew she was going to love it. I was thankful that I had something of value to give to her. Tonight, as you look at your disciple that that God has entrusted you with, as you lift that back up to him, what kind of disciple are you for Christ? What about the cost? Is there, any, is there something that the Holy Spirit bring bringing in your mind and you know that that is something that you've refused to give up for the Lord? It might be a child for the mission field. It might be a job. It might be something small, just your pride and going knocking on a door and telling somebody about Christ, but you refuse to because of your pride, as we heard uh, about pride this morning. The cost of discipleship. What about the commitment? Would it be the testimony of those that uh, that know you, that this person, they're committed to the cause of Christ. They're serious about it. They're sold out for Jesus. They have, they have stood up to follow Him. What about the, the consecration? You make excuses? I can't fully follow Christ because of my past. You don't know my past. You know how I failed. You don't know the sin, the baggage, the things. I can't, I can't do it. Are you consecrated? How's your communion with Jesus? Did you have time with him today? Was there a time where you bowed uh, your knees, not because you had to, but because you wanted to meet with Jesus? What about this past week? What about the pattern of your life? Is it a pattern of prayer? How about your communication about Jesus? Have others heard the gospel from your lips this past week? Have you given a tract? Do you have tracts? Do you pray and ask God, God, please give me the opportunity uh, to give the gospel for you? Is it something that's a part of your life that, that that you know that is your responsibility as a disciple to get the gospel out? What have we given in response to the command of Christ to follow me? Let's pray. Father, I praise you for your grace and your goodness to us. Thank you for Matthew's response. And, Father, I I'm thankful for the opportunity we've had to get to know this church. And, Father, as, as we've heard this week, it is a church that loves you. It is a church that's serious about serving you. And yet, Father, as we see Matthew, we see areas in our life that, by your grace, need to change. And, Father, I pray the Holy Spirit would help us. And, Father, I pray that you'd use us and that we could be valuable disciples. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let's keep.